And we're back with the Connecting the Dots podcast. Again, we're talking about making America and all of the different factors that played into how we got to where we are. Where right after America's founding now, last week we talked about the American Revolution, and today we're going to talk about the French Revolution, the sister revolution that happened not 30 years after the American Revolution. Now, for context, we're going to have to understand the difference between the English government that we broke from and the French government that its own people decided to get rid of. Up to this point, which is, for reference, uh, 1789, the French government had been a monarchy. This is for a thousand years. So the French people, though they had great philosophers, did not have any other government in practice. Under Louis the Fourteenth, who took his reign in the early 1600s and the 1620s, he had consolidated the monarchy into a centralized force and really a much more modern government. You see, the French nobles had had a lot of power, and regionally, different nobles controlled areas of France that sometimes they even... Sometimes they even took arms up against the French king. And even farther back in you know early medieval times, the French king wasn't even safe in his own lands sometimes. But under Louis XIV, the French monarchy became much more prevalent as the law of the land in France. This is because Louis XIV, who was a devout Catholic, believed in his divine right to rule, that he had been placed on the throne by God and it was him alone who would lead France. Now, the way he consolidated his power was by building Versailles. You'll know this as a exquisite French palace. It still stands today. It has had a number of treaties signed there. And this palace was so large that it was to house the royal family and all of the noble families, and if we were to put this in modern dollars, he spent more than $4 billion on its construction, on hundreds of acres of beautiful French land. This was no expense spared. Of course, it was at the expense of the taxpayers, but the French monarchy became what we would think of as an absolute monarchy. No nobles challenged Louis XIV's power. No more nobles ruled their lands regionally. It was in name only. And Louis XIV was a benevolent king. He brought France into the glory days. He brought France into a golden era during his rule. And for that reason, they named a whole colony after him, Louisiana. And, of course, it still bears his name today. Now, the French aristocracy, the French government, in its current construction, and by that I mean its absolute monarchy, could only exist under a powerful, benevolent king like Louis XIV. 
when you get a lesser man in there, like a Louis XV, who cared more about his own prestige than the glory of France, shortcomings within the despot framework start to show. For one, it can feel as though the elite, and they were, were getting more and more distant from the people. That while the people suffered, the elites lived lavishly. That while the people paid most of their wages and tax money, the elites squandered it. That while the young men went off and fought and died in wars for France, the Philosophs and the elite playwrights cared little about the country. Now this all came to a head under Louis XVI. And while it had seemed that Louis XVI was a reformer in the sense that he was willing to give up some of the privileges that his grandfather had bestowed on him, while it seemed as though he was willing to give more power to the people, it was a very, very slow process. And in an economic downturn, when a famine had to hit the land, the people don't want slow reforms. The people want action. And this led to the Declaration of the Rights of Man. Now, this is a piggyback on our Declaration of Independence, which had inspired the French people that maybe they too could form their own republic. Now, this does also set the precedence of copying the American Revolution. Funny enough, the Soviets, about 200 years later in Russia, called themselves the United Soviet Socialist Republics. The reason they used the name Republic, even though that was clearly not a free society, is because the idea of reforming a government into a grand republic was achieved so spectacularly in the American Revolution that other revolutionaries wanted to copy it and wanted to emanate into their people that they too were participating in something that could be as great as the American Revolution. And this was the reason that the French people not only wanted a republic, even though they were much more a democracy than we are, and that is why the French people wanted to declare the rights of man as they were freeing themselves from a monarchy. So if we move to 1793, they've cut the king's head off. Louis the Sixteenth is dead. There is a French Republic, the first French Republic, declared. And inside of their constitution, which is based off of the Declaration of the Rights of Man, there are more than a few distinctions which, for our knowledge and for our information about connecting the dots to modern-day America, the French Declaration of the Rights of Man coincide almost exactly with the modern American left. And I'm not talking about the socialists and the communists that have sprung up in this country. I mean the more moderate left that seems to be able to have a discussion with the right, the platform that Joe Biden wants to present himself running on. See if this sounds familiar. This is the very first article written in the Declaration of the Rights of Man. Men are born and remain free and equal in rights. Social distinctions 
can be founded only on the common good. This was the Frenchman getting rid of the nobility. But I want to focus on the second line here. Social distinctions can only be founded on the common good. Well, what do you think that means? It inherently means a top-down society that the government dictates who is successful and who is not. And this comes back to a man we talked about a long time ago, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who had passed on at this point, but is very clearly influential in the founding of the First French Republic. He believed that, and in the social contract, that we are born free, but that society put change around, chains around us, as he would put it. Now, you can debate that. You can debate the existence of such a contract. However, the second line, social distinctions can only be founded on the common good, would seem to indicate, too, that you can't be successful unless society lets you be successful. And society is the greater French people, in this case. And from this, we have to question whether or not we can even have private property rights if social distinctions and those of high respect can only be founded on the common good. Yet here's a contradiction. Also in the Declaration of the Rights of Man is this line. Property, being an invocable and sacred right, no one can be deprived of private usage if it is not within public necessity, legally noted, and evidently requires it, and under the condition of a just and prior indemnity. What does this mean? Well, this means that the French also believe, or the French Republic declares that private property is a right, just like the United States. However, what if owning that property puts you at a different social distinction or status. Think about it this way. Think about it in modern terms. If somebody owns a great big mansion, or let's say in your cul-de-sac on the top of the hill, there's a house that's a thousand square feet bigger than the next closest house. That gives them a little bit more status, doesn't it? You see, in a free and fair society, social distinction is based on achievement. So the contradiction, which is, we as a society determine your worth, those two cannot exist at the same time. One has to win. And as we'll see, as the French Republic moves on, it becomes much less of a republic and much more dictated by mob rule. But, and this is a real distinction between Europe and the United States. This is also within the Declaration of the Rights of Man. 
No one may be disturbed for his opinions, even religious ones, provided that their manifestation does not trouble the public order established by law. Now, this sounds very close to what the secularists are pushing today in the United States, that you can believe whatever you want to believe, but if your beliefs trouble the public or the public order, which is established by law, and that's different than the United States, then something can be done about you and your thoughts. Now, in a free and fair society, in order to think, you have to risk being offensive, right? So how then can you truly be free if you're only free in your own home? And this is the contradiction that keeps hitting the French Republic over and over again. And it actually led to a split in the Founding Fathers. At first, it seemed great that this American Revolution had sparked a revolution in Europe that was creating a more enlightened Europe that was getting rid of the despots, that was changing the nature and the character of government and rule in Europe. Yet, as it went on, and these contradictions became more and more clear, and the fact that it was more of a democracy than a republic led to tears in the social fabric. There was a split among the founders. Now, Jefferson, most notably, the father of the Democratic Party, was much more in favor of democracy. Famously, he wrote after the beheading of King Louis the Sixteenth that the tree of liberty must from time to time be watered with the blood of tyrants. It got to the point where the French actually asked Jefferson for help in writing their own Declaration of the Rights of Man, to which he declined. But Washington, writing about Rose-Pierre, who was the first leader of the French Republic, its architect, and eventually what led to the reign of terror, wrote this about the king's end. The mortification of the king, intrigues of the queen, and discontent of the princes and nobles will ferment divisions in the National Assembly, and they will unquestionably avail themselves of every faux pas and the formation of the Constitution, if they do not give a more open, active opposition. Great temperance, firmness, and foresight are necessary to forbear or prevent running from one extreme to another is no easy matter and should this be the case rocks and shelves not visible at any at present may wreck the vessel and give a higher toned despotism than the one which existed before washington was not a democrat washington was someone who was in favor of a democratic republic. It became so radical in the French Revolution that they would behead people for simply owning a deck of cards that had a king or queen in the deck. Now that seems pretty basic to me. That doesn't mean that you support the king, but remember in the Declaration of Rights of Man, social distinctions can only be made for the society. 
So therefore, if you outwardly display something that may be detrimental to society, like a reverence for the king, well, off with your head. Society says so. Now, what became of Robespierre? Well, he too met an end at the guillotine. But one final note. What finally broke the camel's back, as they say, was the fact that Robespierre had decided to redistribute wealth. Now, he was able to do that, again, under the first article of the Declaration of the Rights of Man, that social distinction can only be based on societal good, which contradicted the right to private property. So, in his argument, Robespierre said that his right or benefit of society, it was his right as the government leader to do that. It, it was the will of the people. Yet, those who owned land and private property said that it was their right to own the property. And of course, the government just kicked that one to the side because they could. And as exactly as Washington predicted, a ruler worse than the king that they had just gotten rid of had put his fingers all over what had intended to be a republic. And that's why they cut Robespierre's head off. Now, why does that matter? Well, we can understand for the modern Democratic Party or those who want to be liberal without being full-fledged socialists and communists, that there is definitely a place for them inside the American discourse. Because at the heart of it, Robespierre still thought that he was doing what was right for the people. He wanted the best for a democracy. Now, as Washington said, that if he was a democracy and went back and forth and vacillated, that it would go from one extreme to the other, and that would lead to a sort of tribalism, something that we're seeing today. Hence, the Founding Fathers put the Electoral College in place, and the Senate, and the president as a super judge, not what he has become. And so, the French Republic did contribute to the making of America. It ensured that the founders' aspect of a republic and the right to private property would forever mark the founding generation, and it ensured that the United States would stay as a commercial republic and not fall into the unfortunate end of the first French Republic, which is much more of a democracy than a republic. This has been the Civil Discourse Podcast. I'm Kevin Prendeville, and in everything I do, I help educate people as to how they're unknowingly and unnecessarily sending tens of thousands of dollars away to the government, financial institutions, and Wall Street, and on average, we identify anywhere from thirty dollars to $50,000 that people have no idea they're sending away to these institutions. Now, if I could identify that much for you, is that a conversation you would want to have? This has been the Connecting the Dots podcast, where we 
take some of the biggest topics and from a historical perspective, connect the dots to figure out how we got here today.